Thanks for tuning in to Speakers Forum for this favorite story from Short Stories Live's A Rogue's Christmas. You've chosen well. Marianne Owen's reading of Patricia Mayer's Little Precious and the Virgin Mary Pie is a comic gem. This performance took place at Town Hall Seattle on December 6th. Please be advised, there is one incident of an expletive in this tale at a crucial moment. We did not bleep it out. Thanks to Jean Sherrard for curating, and happy holidays from the crew at Speakers Forum. Little Precious and the Virgin Mary Pie by Patricia Mayer. Reverend Jerome Smalls of the Holy Messenger Methodist Church of St. Bernard Parish was cringing in his office. Jerome was as immobilized as a turtle on its back, slow motion kicking. Sounds of singing drifted from the church next door. The choir was rehearsing their Christmas cantata, carols of inspiration and hope, but they did nothing to ease the reverend's anxiety. Jerome had always been an insightful theologian, but it didn't serve him very well in the practical world of everyday church life. The cocoon that was his musty office made such a comfortable hiding place that his ample backside had, over time, rubbed the plush off the seat cushion of his sagging chair. He doted on his familiar moldy books and surrounded himself with watercolors he'd painted, hanging on every available wall, landscapes of faraway, exotic places he'll never visit. He'd copied them from photographs in the National Geographic magazine. Jerome resented the pulpit because he thought it made him too conspicuous, and he avoided home because of his abrasive wife, Helen. She was a gossip without conscience. If half the town didn't know how the other half lived, it wasn't Helen's fault. Cars on the highway didn't run down as many people as Helen Smalls. Jerome secretly likened himself to a butterfly, one of God's most delicate creatures fluttering about aimlessly and easily crushed. He couldn't decide where courage came from, what organ or gland or bit of tissue. Not from the backbone, because... Crabs have no backbone, yet they're engineered for aggression with their claws and hard shells, rather like Helen. <laughs> Courage couldn't come from the brain either, he reasoned, because he was a smart man, smarter than most, yet he couldn't think himself into acts of bravery. Lately, he didn't seem to be able to think correctly at all. He was, he realized, terrified of even the simplest things. His current dilemma was Agnes, or rather, the lack of her. She'd been the church tableau's official Virgin Mary for years, but Agnes had recently dropped dead at the church picnic and left a very large chair to fill. Helen had informed Jerome that she wanted to take the role. What was he to do? He, he couldn't simply appoint his own wife. It wasn't proper. It wasn't democratic. It probably wasn't even Christian. 
Helen's manipulation of the dilemma had been planned perfectly to her way of thinking. By the time Agnes was finally in the ground, Christmas was only three weeks away, so there was a rush to fill the vacancy in time for rehearsals, such as they were. The players actually met so that they could practice standing still, which was not as easy as it seemed in light of bugs, bodily functions, itches, coughs, and sneezes. Helen knew that Jerome would be forced to appoint an immediate replacement for Agnes. It was his duty, however distressful, and his duty alone. This was brought into sharp focus by Coach Bear Lanier, who had always played the part of Joseph in the tableau. Bear was the local high school baseball coach, and he put the sentiments of the church deacons quite bluntly in athletic terms. For God's sake, man, get a life and join the team, he barked. Inform Helen she's not stepping into the part without giving others equal chance at tryouts of some sort. She's not officially on the roster yet. There has to be a casting call, and if she doesn't agree to compete for the part, she'll have to sit it out on the sidelines. I I wouldn't even know how to begin to tell Helen something like that, Jerome whined. I'm sure you'll find the words once the game's down to the wire, Bear said. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Yes, but unfortunately, some ways require more cooperation from the cat than would ordinarily be expected, Jerome said. See here, man, if you're not up to the challenge, the board will have to rethink your contract renewal. Miracles happen every day. Mothers lift wrecked cars off trapped infants. People who can't swim somehow rescue the drowning. Beloved objects that were lost or stolen long ago suddenly turn up in unexpected places. Courage swells and spreads through the most timid of souls. And so it was with Jerome. He found the wellspring of inner fortitude. Perhaps the natural order of things strolled through the doorway of Jerome's theology and boasted him up. He may have remembered Michelangelo, a painter like himself, Under the thumb of a tyrannical pope, Michelangelo blotted it all out with masterful swirls of color and found the fortitude to lie on his back on tall scaffolding year after year, far removed from the pope, shouting up from below. Perhaps it was Christmas itself, a promise of joy and hope that gave Jerome courage. Most likely it was the threat of unemployment. Whatever the source, Jerome recalled the location of his backbone. The very next Sunday, he stood in his pulpit in full receivership of Helen's scalding glare from the pew below and sent out an unexpected casting call to the congregation. He said, Agnes's untimely departure at the picnic, God rest her soul, has left a vacancy in our nativity. We will miss her. Lord knows she was a predominant presence, but a new Virgin Mary must be chosen. He added, Interested ladies, see me after church. Then he quickly bowed his head, or in this case, ducked it, closed his eyes, let us pray. 
He could still feel the radiation of Helen's wrath branded on his retinas. A few days passed, and aside from Helen, sedate little Marie Higgins was the only other candidate who came forward to apply for the role. Agnes had been Marie's best friend. Sweet, peace-loving Marie couldn't bear to see the part go to Helen, be she pastor's wife or not. Deep in her grave, Agnes would spin like a drill if that happened. So Marie gathered her nerve and threw her hat into the ring. This two-woman competition for the role dealt Reverend Smalls a sticky hand. Favoritism towards his unpopular wife would part the congregation like the Red Sea and displease the deacons as well. On the other hand, he had to live with Helen day after oppressive day. When Helen learned she had a rival for the role, she exploded, attacking Marie verbally from several angles and even bad-mouthing Marie's small dog, Little Precious, Nasty, yipping little monster, sneered Marie. Jerome listened in persecuted silence and wondered how he would ever resolve the dilemma. Fortunately, Bear Lanier stepped forward with an unorthodox suggestion. Being a baseball coach, Bear possessed keen insight into the manipulation of meager potential. He found the reverend slumped with a long face in his cluttered office. Look, look here, Jerome, all cards on the table. Bear was always laying all cards on the table for his baseball team. You think you got to give that role to Helen to keep peace at home, but there's folks in the church won't stand for it. We need a contest to take the selection out of your hands. But listen, it has to be an event Helen can't lose. You mean some sort of sporting event? Bear was probably right. He was a coach and sporting man, after all, and he understood the intricacies of competition. Jerome pictured Helen running and sweating, straining and gasping, jumping over hurdles, pole vaulting, falling and staggering to her feet, only to fall again, bloody and bruised. The image cheered him. <laughs> Bear said, No, no sports. I'm talking about something Helen's good at. Something Helen's good at. Now, let me see. The reverend shifted in his chair. For years, he'd suffered from hemorrhoids, aggravated by stress. That day, Jerome felt as though he was sitting on a hot grill humiliating and unfair, he thought. He supposed there were godless atheists walking around, sitting, driving, with perfectly comfortable backsides, while he, a devout Christian, had little demons going at his rear with hot pitchforks. But then, a man who'd lived with Helen Smalls for 12 years no longer questioned the fairness of life. Something Helen's good at? Bear was asking the question. Huh? Jerome was pulled from his reverie. He realized he'd been staring at a landscape on the wall, one of his own paintings, a tranquil, tree-lined road that disappeared into the horizon. I said, isn't there something Helen's good at? 
Jerome pondered. She's a pretty fair cook. What's the best thing she makes? Oh, well, now, I'd have to say pecan pie. Best I ever ate. Well, then, that's it. It's perfect. The ladies' Christmas bake sale is next Sunday after church. Have a pecan pie competition between Helen and Marie as an accessory to the bake sale. You're not serious. Why not? We'll get a couple of judges and clue them in ahead of time. Matter of fact, I'll volunteer to be one of the judges, and I'll ask my friend, Charlie LaForce, to be the other judge as an independent agent from outside the church to cover all bases, so to speak. <laughs> he's a Catholic, so you can't say he's biased. Not about pie, anyway. We'll make sure Helen wins. Jerome said, Charlie LaForce, isn't he that fellow with the talking dog? You mean Lucky Jack? <laughs> yeah, he talks. So what? I, I have to consider my reputation. A talking dog is a sticky wicket, theologically speaking. If a dog can talk, then a dog can think logically. If he can think logically, he can reason. If he can reason, he knows right from wrong, and that means he has spiritual judgment. If he has spiritual judgment, he might have a soul. Animals with souls? This gets into the whole vegetarian animal right to life thing. Like I said, it's a sticky wicket theologically. Can't rile up the vegetarians. Those people are fond of holding protests and walking in picket lines. Bear had been listening with his mouth hanging open. What on God's green earth are you going on about? It's a crooked pie contest, Jerome. It ain't a vegetarian Armageddon. Get over it. Oh, sometimes you are such a weenie, I swear. Talking dog aside, it's still unfair to poor Marie Higgins. You can't afford to be fair. You gotta throw the game or you'll never have another moment of peace at home. Helen's waited years to get her hooks in that role. I wish there was some other way. Jerome... Would you rather have the ladies wrestle for it? I got the mats over at the high school. I can set it up. Jerome hesitated. Reverend! Seriously? Holy Jesus, I was only joking. Sorry, sorry, you're right. I, I'll tell Helen. I'll phone Marie as well. The Reverend sighed and looked out the window through a curtain of rain. Cars swooshed past on the wet street. It had been steadily raining for a dreary winter week. Within the walls of his home, Jerome called Helen dearest and honey and told her she was bound to win and nobody could say she didn't get the part fairly. He didn't tell her the contest was fixed. That would imply doubt that she could win honestly. She raged that a competition was insulting. He winced and sighed. He told Helen she was going to win, no doubt at all, because she did everything so well. Helen said Jerome was right for once. Jerome said, that's the spirit, sweetheart. Then he went to the phone to call Marie Higgins and tell her that she would have to compete in a bake-off. You want me to bake a pie? 
Marie said into the receiver. Yes, said Smalls. Pecan, a pecan pie. Is that even proper? Marie whispered into the phone. It's not sacrilege, Marie. Smalls explained, it's pastry. Seems a bit whimsical, said Marie, but she consented. She hung up the phone and studied her chihuahua, little precious, as the dog jumped and danced a pup on springs and uppers. Marie detected the closing trap of a snow job settling softly and soundlessly around her. Something's going on, precious. A plot. I can just feel it. Precious tipped her head to one side, a cute manipulation of the smaller breeds. It melted Marie. She fetched the box of doggy doodles. The sight of the box sent Precious into a yipping frenzy. Marie sat on the floor, and Precious self-catapulted into her lap. She hand-fed the dog, taking an occasional bite herself. They're trying to shut me out, Marie told Precious, who only crunched and ignored her. They're turning this into a contest. They think I'll back down. But I can't. I owe it to Agnes. The following day, Helen held court at the checkout of Winn-Dixie, assaulting the ears of the church's choir director who was behind her in line. That Marie Higgins has no family, no depth, only that dreadful yippy dog she takes everywhere she goes. Helen smoothed her hair. I think I'll have my Virgin Mary costume made by a professional. After all, I'll be using it for years. Oh, wait! I have a coupon for that! She fussed at the bag boy for crushing her buns and scolded the clerk about the prices and even worked in her usual remark about the pitiful salary the church paid Jerome. After leaving the grocery, Helen parked down the block from the liquor store. Looking both ways, she slipped inside and bought a bottle of brandy. For baking! she told the indifferent clerk. He shrugged, and as he punched the register keys, whatever. Helen bug-eyed him. You don't believe me? Lady, I don't give a darn. He dropped the bottle into a bag and held it out. Marie snatched it and scurried to her car, convinced that the clerk must be a heathen atheist. Marie, meanwhile, haunted the baking aisle at the Walmart, bought ingredients, and made a pie but it was runny and leathery. Precious refused to taste it. She made another pie that looked promising, but she dropped it. She sat at her kitchen table and cried bitter tears for herself, her lost friend Agnes, and for the perfect pie that would never come out of her oven. The Sunday of the contest sloughed in, dim and wet, Marie's final contesting pie sat quivering, congealed and lumpy, a hostile pastry hunkering on the counter, sulking at its own existence. (laughs) You're an embarrassment to yourself, Marie said to the pie. She called to little precious. The dog skittered up in and out between Marie's feet. Partners in this familiar dance, they made their way to the car, 
Marie hid the surly pie in the trunk and put Precious in the front seat beside her. Blinking back tears, she turned the car in the direction of the church, thankful that little Precious was going with her so that she didn't have to make the trip alone. In the small's driveway, Helen yelled for the reverend to hustle up. He shuffled out and dropped into the driver's seat with a wince, and they too made their way to the pastry showdown. As other ladies of the church arrived, they carried their baked goods into the meeting hall. The dessert sale would be held after the service. Helen left her pie in the car because it deserved a grand entrance just before the judging began. Helen's pie was magnificent, mounded, a golden creation, sparkling with a thin, crystalline coating of caramel over layers of brandied pecans. Marie tried not to think about the miserable pie in her trunk. She petted Precious and left the dog in the car, then trudged into church and found a seat near the back. She spotted Helen in the front pew, wearing a lovely new hat. Jerome began his sermon entitled David versus Goliath in God's Arena of Faith. The reverend said, David took a stone of justice and flung it with a sling of righteousness. With that act of faith, he defeated a giant. He believed. Even though he was up against incredible odds, David believed in justice. Marie pictured the stone hitting Goliath squarely in the forehead. She saw the giant falling, falling, and imagined a shattering thud when he hit the ground, a cloud of dust rising up around him. A possibility burst upon her consciousness, as though the stone had hit her in the head as well. She hardly noticed when the service was over. She waited until the congregation shuffled out of the church and it was empty. Then she stood up with her back straight and her chin up. She went to the parking lot. Helen was also in the parking lot, going to her own car to fetch her glorious pie. Helen was radiating confidence. Standing at her car, Marie set in motion her own act of faith. Little Precious barked a greeting through the car window. Marie opened the door and let Little Precious out, and the pup danced around Marie's feet. Marie stooped as David must have stooped when he picked up the stone. She steadied Precious, her hands cupping the dog's head, and whispered, That lady has doggy doodles, Precious. Go get them. Go on now. Helen was walking from her car, skipping around the rain puddles, her perfect pie balanced in her hands. Precious scampered over to Helen and began her usual dance, yipping and jumping, running between Helen's feet as Helen made a desperate effort to keep her balance. Sometimes you know how a thing is going to play out. As David must have known when he felt the weight of that stone in his hand, in that brief Suspension of probabilities. Even as Goliath's shadow fell across him, David foresaw it all. Looking back, everyone agreed that it all seemed to happen in slow motion. First, Helen lost her footing on the wet asphalt. 
She pitched forward, and her perfect pie flew out of her hands. A woman in the crowd outside the church screamed. A man darted out and made a valiant dive to catch the pie, but only tipped it with his fingers, causing it to spin upward as Helen slid down and landed on her stomach with a whoosh of expelled breath. The pie spun up and up until it reached its apex, hung in the air, and then descended fast, splatting on the ground several feet from Helen. She lifted her head from the pavement just in time for flying gobs of caramel filling and several airborne pecans to splatter her face and hair and lodge in the netting of her new hat. Oh, shit! My She shrieked. (laughs) Observers gasped at her profanity, then fell silent and gaped at the pastor's wife on the pavement. The only sounds were her sobs and the slurps of little precious lapping caramel filling off the wet asphalt. Reverend Smalls appeared beside his wife, With gentle hands, he helped her to her feet and steered her towards his office. Come here, little Precious, Marie called across the parking lot. Precious wobbled up, already feeling woozy from the brandy in Helen's pie. Marie hustled the dog into the car. Helen, uncharacteristically humbled by her profane outburst and her undignified sprawl in the parking lot, hid in Jerome's office until most of the congregation was gone. Then she sulked home to bandage her skinned knees and wash pie out of her hair. Marie's pie was the only entry into the contest, so the judges, Bear Lanier and his friend, Charlie LaForce, declared Marie to be the winner by forfeit. After a cursory look at the malignant pastry, they didn't bother tasting it. The church had its new Virgin Mary. Marie was smiling and gracious, and wasn't it too bad that Helen had taken that dreadful spill? The judges had no idea they were in the presence of a giant killer. Marie took her four-legged conspirator home and treated her to all the doggy doodles she wanted. It seems as though Marie had lived with little precious forever, even though it had only been a few months since she'd rescued the pup from the pound. The dog catcher had netted Precious, half-starved and abandoned, wandering through a pseudo-Swiss subdivision of abandoned, collapsing houses out by the airport. Little Precious, whose name had been Trixie in another life, had now and forever proven herself to be a giant killer as well. Marie Higgins made a lovely Virgin Mary. She fit perfectly under the stable roof right next to the manger. During rehearsals, she practiced gazing down at the plaster baby with a mysterious, haunting smile. Everyone found her performance enchanting. Helen resigned herself to the role of costume coordinator. The evening of the performance... She was helping others into their roles when Coach Bear Lanier staggered into the dressing hall. Bear had never missed a year playing Joseph, and he was determined to be there, even though he'd come down with the flu and raging fever. Uh, 
I'm sick as a dog, he told Helen. Helen took control and grasped her opportunity. The show must go on, she said. She skinned Bear out of his robe and fake beard, donned his costume, and played the part of Joseph. She did a fine job and never moved a muscle. 